Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year and welcome back to Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here with Stephen Ellis, our first show in the year 2024. Our little hiatus is over. We have lots to discuss today. Stephen, glad to be back with you, my friend. And before we get into all the news and the fantasy advice, I want to hear a little bit about what's your team been up to in the last month? Well, it's nice to see you again, Matt, um, or hear you if you're just listening to the audio version. Uh, when it comes to my fantasy team, wow, I did not win anything. <laughs> it was a terrible <laughs> few weeks. But every time I lost, it was by like, like again, we're talking about in my, my 16 pool, we're looking at 500, 550 points being normal. And losing by like two or three is like the difference of, in some cases, like a shot or two the entire week. Wow. I lost every single one of my battles on like the last day. And I led every single one of them. Like we're talking, every battle basically since the last time we did a show. So a month of losing. Uh, and I went from being second and like challenging for first to now fourth, trying to hold on to f- like not get past for fifth. It's a competitive group. I, I, it really stung a couple days ago when I, uh, I think it was Friday night when Jack Hughes and Connor Bedard got hurt. And it's like, uh Oh, now I'm in trouble um, mm-hmm. because they got hurt early in the game and I couldn't like swap them out with anybody. And that was just two lost performances um, between that. I also, when I was in Michigan on, on the Saturday, I put in Alexander Georgiev turns out he didn't start the game like originally thought and uh, Demko did and played well, but then Georgiev did actually get into the game because Colorado had a terrible start. Um, so for me to lose these, it sucks. It stings because every single one of them I was leading and had a projected uh, win um, pretty much locked up until the very end. So it sucks, but it happens. Your team is lacking that killer instinct to close in, in these, these Jack close Hughes, games. Jack Hughes just like ever since his injury has just not been what I needed him to be. And yeah. JT Miller's been great. My goaltending, it feels like I'm waiting for Georgia of every other game to just let in four goals. And then you just hope for more. Like right now, I picked up Alex Line, and I might keep him. <laughs> like I almost feel more confident than hit in him right now. Because every time I put him in, it works. But yeah, yeah, I just 
I don't know. Got to ride that wave. I'm uh, in my league. I'm at a, a really weird crossroads. So the league is weird this year because we had a new GM come in who comes from like the professional hockey writer world, like me. And so obviously he's overqualified in terms of knowledge, and he inherits a team that had re- that was that had sold the year before. So he comes in, gets has all these first round picks, and he, and just is able to build a super team from day one. And his team is so far ahead of every other team. It's like he's outscored the second highest scoring team by 100 plus points. Uh, And I'm talking about like player points. And it just feels like the league is not competitive. And my team, uh, my team blows up the bad teams. But when I go up against a few of these super teams, I can't measure up. And I'm like, "Ah, what's the point here? I don't want to be that middling team that just kind of limps into the playoffs and loses in round one. So I'm starting to wonder if I need to sell or at least hedge, get some first round picks back and sort of, think about next year because it just feels like a, a pointless exercise every time i go against a juggernaut it's like ah my squad just doesn't quite have the legs so i don't know i, I don't like living in, in the murky middle i'm not bill Guerin, you know i'm more of someone who likes to take risks and dominate or be bad so we'll see what happens but uh speaking of risks and big moves steven before we get into the regular meat of the show we have to discuss the blockbuster trade Philadelphia Flyers sending Cutter Goche to the Anaheim Ducks on Monday night for Jamie Drysdale and a second-round pick. I want your reaction, and of course, this is a fantasy podcast. So from a fantasy perspective, what is your take on this big trade? So uh, I wrote about it for Daily Faceoff. Um, <clears throat> Philadelphia, you did not win this trade, and you know that. And Anaheim now has Cutter Goche, a guy who will probably play wing. My guess is he, he will play wing, but given he's been a center through college, that could also help for his, you know, his eligibility. Um, assuming he goes pro this year at the end of the year and then next year. But you got Cutter Goche playing with, like, what are going to be, Trevor Zegers or Leo Carlson or Troy Terry. Like, the options are crazy there. And you, the Ducks didn't necessarily need Jamie Drysdale when they went out and got Pavel Minchukov. They got Tristan Leno. They got Olin Zellweger, Jackson Lacombs. They got these really good defensive options where that made him expendable. Um, I do really like... Drysdale for the Flyers, though. I think that that's a guy that, who could be your number one power play quarterback. Was kind of looking like he could have hit 50 points if we were looking at just the natural progression of a young guy as a as a 20-year-old in the NHL, which would have been pretty nuts considering he lost um, that, that draft plus one year. He had to go straight to the NHL. He didn't get the proper development time in the OHL. So he's had a bit of a rocky road to this point, adding all these injuries. But he showed a lot of promising signs. Yeah, if you see those stat cards, those player cards, you see a lot of the, the uh, of the a lot of analytics on Twitter. You'll, you'll point out that the defensive stats are not great, but from mm. an offensive standpoint, I think he should be hitting fifty points, being that number one right-handed defenseman for the Flyers for a long time. There isn't really a ton of competition there, so um, I like the players for both teams. But Philadelphia, man, you guys lost this trade. I'm sorry, and you know it. But I, I wouldn't be disappointed about the guy I got. I think he's going to be a very important player for the Flyers moving forward. That's right. And uh, for Daily Faceoff readers, Stephen has a column breaking down Jamie Drysdale in detail on Daily Faceoff right now. Uh, before I give him my take, quick disclaimer, I apologize if I sound terrible. I'm just getting over a cold. So my, my sinuses are all clogged, so I sound a little <laughs> I sound a little bit like Professor Frank from The Simpsons. Um but my take on this trade, I actually, from a fantasy perspective, I love it for both players. For Cutter Goche, you're going to a team that 
has a lot more long-term potential in terms of what pieces they have in place in the next few years. Mason McTavish and Leo Carlson, Trevor Zegers, maybe, although maybe he's a trade candidate. We'll see. But either way, I think Goche is going to have more immediate access to similarly young and talented players if he turns pro after the season, which I suspect he will. Uh, and then for Jamie Drysdale, like you said, he's going to be the power play quarterback. The Flyers need someone on the right side because Ryan Ellis's career is pretty much over. And I think Jamie Drysdale can actually end up being a very similar player to Ryan Ellis, by the way. Undersized, yeah. really good puck mover, smart player. And I think that he's going to step in and probably get some of those minutes right away. Like, I think he's a pickup in fantasy right now. I think they're going to throw him to the Wolves and give him a shot. So I think he's no longer going to be blocked or competing with other maybe even more talented offensive defenseman prospects like Owen Zellweger, Pavel Mintukov, and goes on and on. He was going to have to fight those guys for years to come to get those high-end minutes in offensive situations. Now I think he's the guy in Philly. So I think it improves the fantasy value long-term of both players. Okay, Stephen, well, that's sort of our little intro, but now we can get into our sort of regular rhythm and let's talk uh, fantasy pickups. All right, let's uh, start with a defenseman, shall we? Uh, shallow pickup of the week, Thomas Harley. Yes, Thomas Harley, Dallas Stars, available in 69% of leagues. Uh, the first way to think of it is it's an obvious direct replacement to Mira Heiskanen, who's injured. And we know Thomas Harley in terms of just a left shot defenseman who has natural offensive ability. He's an easy pick to slot right in. He's already in the last two games playing more than 24 minutes. He had two assists in his last game, one on the power play. He was already hot as well. It's not like he's just coming in and only exceed, only succeeding because he's giving, getting this opportunity. In his last 18 games, six goals, 14 points. That's a reminder that Thomas Harley is not some depth guy who's just going to get a temporary bump because his role changes. He's a talented player. He's a first-round pick. He was suspect, or he was always expected to become this good, right? He's expected to become an important piece of the puzzle for Dallas. So, not only is this a big opportunity, it doesn't mean that once Heiskanen's back that Harley's value is going to disappear either. So it's going to get a bump in the short term, but either way, he might be rosterable for the rest of the season. Shout out to the NHL on Ice podcast. And when I was on there earlier this year, I said, pick up Thomas Harley. He's going to be a guy to, you really need to keep an eye on at the time he was playing really well. And it's good to see kind of that he's really having his breakout season this year. A guy that I am always scared to pick up because of his injury concerns, and that's Max Pacioretty, this week's medium pickup. Yes, he's available in 70% of Yahoo leagues. And to be clear, the injury risk at his age, at this point of his career with multiple torn Achilles, it's never going away. He will be an injury risk for every single game he plays for the rest of his career. And if he does get hot, I do recommend selling him if he gets if he you know gets has a five-point week. But 91 points in his previous 92 games spread across three very short seasons, but going into the season, we still know how effective he can be. And to me, it's someone that once he gets his rhythm, if he is healthy, he's going to help you. So he's right now on the second line on the second power play unit. I do think he'll get a look on the top power play unit soon enough, just based on his skill set, his goal scoring ability. And I think he will be an asset pretty soon in the goals and shots categories. He might need a few more games. If you're adding him in a medium league, or especially in a shallow league, it's going to be for your bench for now, but hopefully he can find some magic, and I think he will be productive for a stretch, and that's when you should probably trade him. I think people kind of forget, and me myself sometimes too, that he was one of the best goal scorers in the NHL for a while when he was in the Montreal Canadiens, a team that he didn't have a whole lot to work with for a long time there. So uh, I, I think that, you know, 
they're trying to think who his centers would have been. Yeah, it was Pat. That's the Saki Kuevu era. So I don't know. It's Thomas Pekanich, or yeah, there's a few other that would have been around. Like, yeah, he, he dark, had to do a lot. There. Yeah, he had to do a lot for that team. So I think it's easy to forget that when you haven't played as much. But uh, if he's healthy, you know, we'll see what happens. This one is a very interesting one, and that's a deep league pickup, Trent Frederick of the Boston Bruins, who I didn't realize his numbers have been this good this year. Yeah, me neither. And, and admittedly, this is sort of the pickup I don't normally make. I don't love the reactive point chasing pick for a player who isn't necessarily going to sustain it. But eventually, when someone's doing it for so long, you have to sort of pay attention and say, okay, we got to just see where this goes. So Trent Frederick, usually known as an agitator, available in 94% of leagues. He's only playing on the third line, a little bit of power play too. But he's got five goals in his last four games. So He's hot right now, and it's possible this continues for a little while if he's really feeling it. So this could be a player, especially in a head-to-head league, who could help you win a week. I don't know if he's going to sustain it, again, because he's playing in the bottom six. He's shooting 22% in terms of his, his efficiency. That's not sustainable. So the lease, ha- lease has to be very short. It's one of those, you pick him up, if he goes pointless for two games, you drop him. But maybe he keeps this going, and if he continues to play well enough, he might get promoted to a second line role or maybe some power play one time. So it's a wait and see. I wouldn't pick him up in anything other than a big deep league for now. Okay. I like that one. WTF pickup, a goaltender, Joey Decord. Joey Decord, or as I always love to call him in my mind, because I had a French Canadian grandmother, I call him Joseph okay, because Decord means okay <laughs> in French. Yes. It is. Uh, we know, of course, he was a revelation for Coachella Valley last year, going all the way to the Calder Cup final. Available in 32% of leagues right now, which is crazy. He is on a run. His last nine games, 7-0-2, 9.58 save percentage. One shutout. He killed me in my head-to-head matchup. I was against him last week, and I got pounded because of Joey Decor. And to me, he's looking like he's this year's Aiden Hill. This is a guy who was showing signs of it going into the season. I know Mike McKenna, our buddy, uh, the former NHL was really high on Joey Decord even after last season. And he's the guy in Seattle. He's taken the job in terms of the Lions share of starts from Philip Grubauer. He's helped turn Seattle back into a team with a shot at a playoff spot after a really slow start. And I think you just have to ride this. And especially with goalies, it's not like the Trent Frederick situation where it's like, oh, you're going to drop him in a couple games. Goalies, you can pick them up and maybe they become stars for the entire season. Look at Stuart Skinner last year. Look at Logan Thompson the year before. It goes on and on and on. So to me, you have to take Joey Decor very seriously at him. And this is someone who could end up being a league winner. And I think he's on a lot of teams that are really surging up their standings right now. Yeah, I just kind of watching him just play. Like last year, he he played five games total. Like he played nothing last year. Uh, no, my bad. Sorry, played five games in the NHL, but he he was injured a lot, missed some time, had to deal with some of that stuff. But looks pretty good uh, this year. It's been uh, obviously great numbers this year. Um, I'm not sure if I'm a believer, but the, just watching what he saw, him, what we saw from him in Coachella Valley showed that something's there. So, what's this week's special segment? Okay. Uh, the special of the week, it belongs to you, Stephen. It's World Junior Discussion. And I want to know which players... So, obviously, you saw every single game. You were up at all hours of the day. And you had, I think, as good of a read on the tournament as anybody out there. So, I want you to break down a few players who you believe saw changes for better or worse in their Keeper League value 
based on that performance on the big stage against elite competition at the World Juniors. All right, so I love the World Juniors. It's uh, it's uh, I think you can make that very clear here. Um, but I'm going to start here by talking about Frankie Nazar of the United States, a Chicago Blackhawks prospect, someone who watching him play at the World Junior Summer Showcase in person, a guy who had just played only like 13 games a year before that due to injuries, had to really bounce back, and I thought he looks great. Um, so for him, it was just kind of showing how he could prove to he could take his game to another level here. We knew what Cutter Goche could do. Obviously that was a fun, fun backstory. Uh, but with, with, with Nazar, just seeing what he could do as which started as a third line center, became the second line center and his, his line started to get more opportunities, but his work with Gavin Brindley out there was nuts and could probably throw Gavin Brindley on here too. But uh, I, I think the, the way that he was able to just continuously find his line mates, no matter where they were on the ice, no matter where it was power plays, shorthand, no matter what, he seemed to just be one of the best playmakers in this entire tournament. And I'm surprised he didn't get more love on the, the all-star teams. He, he had a couple of quiet games near the end, which probably didn't help. But I think just the early stages of that tournament, I would say that Nazar was more important than Cutter Gauthier, who did earn uh, MVP love. So there's that. Uh, kind of sticking with the Americans, I'm going to go with Isaac Howard, a Tampa Bay Lightning prospect, who ended up tying for the league or tournament lead in goal scored, which if you'd kind of followed Isaac Howard's progress, when he was an NHL draft prospect, he was one of the best goal scorers uh, that the US U18 team had. He was just putting up great numbers. And I was like, okay, you know, there's some other deficiencies in his game. Not a great skater, not great defensively, but he can make up for it just in how many goals he could put in the net. And then last year, he had a very difficult college season. Ended up getting a transfer to Michigan State University. This year has become one of the highest, like, highest moving prospects for me, for sure. Mm. Uh, Tampa Bay doesn't have a whole lot of good prospects to work with. But Isaac Howard has kind of just established himself as someone you really got to keep an eye on. The guy who did end up winning the MVP and tied uh, Isaac Howard in goals was Jonathan LaCaramacchi. And for me watching him, it was he had to be important for the Swedish team. He played in two previous World Juniors, didn't look very good. Uh, I was talking with uh, Ryan Kennedy, who was on our show a couple or last year and talking about he was kind of the guy where like he needs to show up or all Sweden's doomed because we know he could put up a lot of points. We saw that at points last year in the Allsvenskan in the playoffs specifically. And then this year in the SHL, he's been one of the better European based prospects um, across the NHL. And um, to see him go out there and score seven goals, I think five of them were power play goals, but he just like, no one could beat him on the power play. It just seemed like anytime he had a chance, it went in. So generating a lot of shots, getting a lot of opportunities, there's a reason that people are excited about Jonathan LeCaramacchi. Uh, my fourth one I'll go into, sticking with Sweden, is Theo Lindstein on uh, the St. Louis Blues. Didn't even make the team originally. Only got up because of, of kind of a funny coincidence. Frankie Nazar hurt one of the guys on the Swedish defense, and Theo Lindstein got called up. And it was like, okay, let's see. Maybe he's a seventh defenseman. Maybe he's playing limited minutes. I picked him on the all-star team. He was that good. And uh, he was, I'd say, better than Axel Sandin Pelica. I'd say he was the, probably Sweden's most important player. I know that Karamaki ended up getting the, the MVP, but Lindstein was just had such a great two-way impact. Probably the best defensive hockey I've seen from him. I've seen that where he would be, he would just kind of fall into the young defenseman offensive thing where he tries to do a little bit too much on the offensive side and, and would trail or struggle in his own zone. But that wasn't the case in this tournament. I just thought he was rock solid across the board. He had Tom Wheelander, the Canucks prospect, as a defensive pairing. They could both come back. So that's going to be very, very scary. 
And I want to finish this segment off talking about one guy who I was not a fan of, and that mm. is Michael Rabel, the Czech goalie, Arizona Coyotes prospect. And I wrote about him um, during the after the U18s, and he played and said, this goalie's got a ton of skill. He's got the size. He's like, I think he's 6'6". Um, very good pedigree. Had to do a lot of heavy lifting for the Czechs. His numbers look good, but had a tendency to just fall apart when the games mattered. And we saw that... Uh, we saw it at the U18s in the game against the Americans where it looked like they were going to cause an upset against them. We saw it at the Lincoln Rescue where he was getting beat down low, blocker side, nonstop. In this tournament, he was getting beat glove side, nonstop. And they lost that first game against the Slovaks, and that was where he got exposed. He did not look good. He played his best game against Canada to get them into the medal round, and then he fell apart. Sweden, he just kept getting beat on the glove side, and he got pulled, I think it was like six or seven minutes into that bronze medal game. So when the Czechs ended up coming back, he wasn't the goalie in net for that. But I'd say very you know, disappointing tournament from a guy. He'll be back next year, but I, I, I think enough scouts have pointed out that he's had too many difficult games in, in important international situations. Like these are just short tournaments and the Czechs weren't necessarily known for having like rock solid defense, but the fact that it just seemed like anytime his team would get momentum and then he would allow a soft goal below the glove or right down low by his pad on the right side. It's, I think that's a little concerning. So those are the guys that kind of caught my eye. I'd say the most obviously Goche played very well guys. Like I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, but these are the guys that I wrote down as the ones that I think needed to to talk about here yeah for sure i think it's a really good rundown especially frankie nazar because of course you start wondering when he's going to fit together with Connor bedard in the long term uh, as part of the the, the core uh, for the chicago blackhawks and i also learned he's someone whose name i never say aloud i never know whether to call him nazar or nazar i guess i now know uh, and to me isaac howard's intriguing because the Tampa bay lightning they depend so much on players with entry-level cap hits to keep them going, to keep them competitive. And especially if they end up moving Steven Stamkos this year, we never, 
never know what's going to happen. If if that does go down to replace his production, they're going to need to promote a youngster and start building the next wave. And he's going to be a very important piece for them. Uh, I think we might. I think we skipped a, a section, yeah. Stephen. My apologies on that. I realized that. You're excited. You want to talk World Juniors? I get it, man. Uh, but let's do our tip of the week now. And I, I call it fertile trading season. Okay, so we're roughly at the halfway point of the NHL season, and that means in Roto, you're at the halfway point. In a head-to-head league, you're past the halfway point because the last few weeks of the regular season will be your playoffs. And you're in this sort of perfect moment where every team is still probably in the hunt in a redraft league, but the hour is also getting late. So to me, this is the juncture at which even the quieter GMs in the league might be willing to deal. And I think that's that, that means it's time to get aggressive right now, maybe even more so the trade deadline, because if you're in a redraft league where there's nothing to play for next year, by the trade deadline, there might be teams that are out of it and say, uh, what's the why am I making this trade? Like, I'm not going to upset the competitive balance. We're still early enough that even the bad teams might still have a shot. So I think this is the time to get really aggressive and start trying to make moves. I think this is a more important time than your fantasy trade deadline especially in a redraft. Maybe in a, in a keeper league, the trade deadline is probably most important. Fair enough. But in redraft, which is a more common league configuration, this is the moment because everyone's going to be engaged, especially because the fantasy football season just ended. I noticed in my own league, the, the activity always picks up in the weeks after fantasy football ends. And another thing that's important is right now, the sample sizes are big enough that there might be some buy lows out there and they have GMs who are finally ready to give up because, hey, it's been half a season. I can't wait forever. For a guy, let's say, like like Tim Stutzler, who's been a little bit of an underachiever, you can go after a player like that, and you might be able to convince the GM to part with him because you might not have been able to do that when it's only 20 games into the season. So there are just so many reasons why now is when you should start getting aggressive and really start engaging other teams to make a move in your league. All right, I like that. All right, well, so we did the... World Junior segment, so I apologize on that. Uh, Matt puts together a great list of uh, of topics, and I uh, completely ignored the one part. But it's back to you talking again, this time about the best bet. Yes, the best bet of the week. I surprised myself with this one. So at Patano, at Patano.ca, they have some fun odds on picking in the futures the nationality of the winning team. I'm not saying players. I'm saying what country the winning team comes from. And right now, you can get plus money, plus 230 on Canadian Stanley Cup winner. And if you look at the Canadian teams right now, you have four teams that are really in it right now. You have the Winnipeg Jets atop the standings. You have the Edmonton Oilers, hottest team in the league. The Vancouver Canucks just dismantled the New York Rangers. They look like a real contender. And then you have the Leafs that are still in the mix, even if they're maybe a little bit of a paper tiger. They're still high enough in the standings. They're right there. So that's four teams that I think everyone would agree is in the hunt that are there they are, are in the hunt and the fact that you combine them into one bet at plus money plus 230 to me that's some pretty intriguing value i kind of like taking a swing and if, you know obviously you're not factoring in calgary montreal or ottawa they're out of it in terms of being actual threats to win the stanley cup but you get four good chances i think in the field of 32 with that plus 230 bet so i think it's a fun one to take see no canadian team has won the stanley cup in my lifetime um, <laughs> no Canadian team has won in the, you know, the HD TV era or like having a personal cell phone era. So I don't know if I love the, the idea of it, but 
you, you put up a good argument there. A lot of Canadian teams are, are legitimately in this one. I, I don't trust any of them, but I don't know. I guess it may, maybe this is the year to kind of just fight through. If Edmonton in particular, it's like, just imagine what would happen if they, A, had a proper goalie the whole time, and B, just didn't have that start they had. Yeah, I think everyone would be looking at them as like they're number one. So, and I agree. If it was minus money, I wouldn't be even considering the bet because there does seem to be a a curse on the Canadian teams. I think it also it relates to the post salary cap world because you just have Canadian teams typically, as we saw with the Toronto Maple Leafs this week, they have to pay either overpay or top of market value for their players, and you don't have tax breaks in certain states like you do in the U.S. You don't have any reason why players are willing to take less money. It seems like they're always going to, always going to take more because if they're going to play in that pressure cooker market, they're going to want more money. So it makes it, I think, harder for Canadian teams to build winners. Uh, so it, it's not it's certainly not uh, set in stone that's going to happen, but I just like the fact that there are four really good teams out there that are Canadian. So why not roll the dice? Sure. And, and you know, Neilander now is 11 and a half million. He can now get a two uh, bedroom condo now in Toronto. So yeah, exactly. it's, a, it's a nice upgrade from the, probably the, the den he was renting out, uh, given the prices. So, uh, are you ready for some questions? I am. All right. So this first one is now extra interesting now that, uh, the cutter goche trade has happened, but Nick Jansen asks long-term Mason McTavish or Adam Fantilli. Yeah, really fun question, especially because Mason McTavish really started the season strongly. Um, I think it's all about where they are relative to to age and draft year. So Mason McTavish is a great prospect, future number one center. I think he's definitely surpassed Trevor Zegers on sort of the long-term org chart, if you will. Um, and I think it's going to be him and Leo Carlson will be sort of jockeying for the number one and number two on that team for years to come. Uh, Cutter Gauthier, I think, as well, but also can play the wing. Um, because he's got that power forward game. Um, but either way, big step forward for Mason McTavish. Very impressed. But Adam Fantilli is two draft classes younger. He shoots the puck more. He gets more hits in a fantasy context as well. And he's already pretty close to McTavish's numbers. So to me, we're seeing Fantilli already catch up, even though he's only a few months into his NHL career. And if you look at the pedigree, Mason McTavish, very good prospect. Adam Fantilli, elite level prospect, who would have been the number one overall pick in multiple other drafts. I think he would have been in 2021. I think he would have been in 2022. Maybe even in 2020, you can make a case over Alexi Lafreniere. Adam Fantilli is a very, very special prospect. He is in the running for the best college freshman of all time, at least until Macklin Celebrini maybe beats that this year, but based on what he did last year. And to me, he's very similar to Jack Eichel in the sense that he got overshadowed because he happened to be in a generational talent year, but is such a special player. So... It's no knock on Mason McTavish. I just think Adam Fantilli's ceiling is like, in five years, he could be a top five pick in fantasy. That's how good he has the potential to be. So I still lean Fantilli. Like, we're talking about Fantilli, who his ice time has been kind of up and down this year, where there are points where he's playing four-flying minutes, and you're wondering, like, okay, could he go to the juniors because, like, this makes no sense. But he's still playing at, a like, a 22-50 point pace, or 22-goal 50 point pace here. So... That's quite impressive for someone who uh, I do as good as Columbus's prospect pool is. I do think Anaheim is just going to have more offensive weapons and that's going to probably hurt. It, it will both help and hurt Mason McTavish mm -hmm. help him because he'll probably be playing with some pretty quality line mates, no matter what, 
hurt because his ice time is going to be hurt by other guys coming in and, and stealing those opportunities. But um, McTavish could play the power play. But Adam Fantilli might run the power play in Columbus. I think just the way that the competition looks for both teams, it's a bit more crowded in, An- in Anaheim than it is in Columbus. So f- for me, Fantilli has at all levels been a play driver. He's been a guy that who could who could drive the play, but also cr- like he'll finish a play. He could do a bit of everything. Um, he's not afraid to, to get more, get physical. And I think he's going to get more comfortable with the physical side of things. I think people forget how punishing he would be at other levels in college or in USHL would just throw some big hits would like to get involved in things. So a guy like that could add extra value there. Um, so I'm going Fantilli, but I also like McTavish. I'm a big fan of McTavish. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously that Canadian world junior hero a couple of years ago, the way he, but, uh, save, Made, made the save of the century, essentially. And it was crazy talking to some of Canada's World Junior players and asking what their favorite World Junior memory was. And the Mason McTavish thing was like, oh, that's one of my plays, like, growing up. Like, I remember watching. I was like, dude, that was, like, a year and a half ago. Like, that was the summer of 2022. That's that crazy. wasn't that long ago. But uh, no one's saying uh, – no no one's saying uh, – uh, what's his face? Um, Jordan Eberle anymore. But I get it. Like – we're talking yeah. about four-year-olds and three-year-olds at that time. That's a weird one. Or Jonathan Taves in the shootout. It's weird to think about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like next year, we're going to get some 07s playing in this tournament. Uh, for wow. Maybe for Canada, maybe for the United States that were not alive when that happened. So That's crazy. Easy to think that. Uh, but that's how age works, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Quinton Keller asks, could Martin Jones actually be Toronto's answer in net? Do you see them grabbing someone else in case Wall doesn't end up being the answer post-injury? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um I don't think Jones is the answer. I think it's one of those anybody can get hot for a stretch. And the Leafs have played some pretty bad teams lately too. So some of Martin Jones's wins have been against sort of pushover opponents in that Pacific division. And I just think, you know, we've seen a massive sample size from Martin Jones. He's a veteran. We've seen enough of him at this point to know he's not going to suddenly become a Vezina Trophy caliber goaltender, even though his numbers are really good right now. He is a pro's pro, and this is exactly why the Leafs brought him in. They knew that in the modern game, goalies get hurt more than ever, and he's a great number three to come in, and he can hold things down for a a little stretch, which is exactly what he's doing right now. Um, But I don't think I'm... I'm just not that worried about Joseph Wolf's timeline. I don't think there's been any indication that this is a season-ending injury or that it's even going to keep him out for the stretch run or the playoffs, anything anything like that. I think he'll be back with more than enough time to get himself reestablished for the stretch run. So I think it's still going to be whether it's wool and Jones or if Samsonov figures things out in the minors comes back and it's wool Samson up. We'll see, but I still think wool is going to be the guy. Uh, if something changes with that timeline, if wool has a setback, then sure. I think I could see Bradford living, making a move to bring in more help in net, but I just don't see any scenario in which, you know, Martin Jones is taking over down the stretch and is your starter, unless he just, if he goes on an insane run and wins 10 starts in a row, something crazy like that, fair. But I don't see that happening. I think it just he's he's sort of beating up on a lot of easy teams right now. And as we record this, he gets to play San Jose again, second second time in a row. So he's kind of just feeling it right now against some bad teams. But it's been a nice run. I really don't like what they're doing Phil to be here. <laughs> and a lot of people said like he was the guy they should call up. And I'm like, no, because they're not going to play him. And they haven't. He hasn't played a game yet. He's been kind of sitting there and... That seems odd to me. Like Petrozelli could have held that role and you continue to get those yes. opportunities. Granted, you know, the Marlies haven't played a ton of games recently, but still, like, I, I, I guess they're viewing the being there and being part of the, the practices and seeing the games up close is more important. But I don't know. It just seems like you want them to play, right? Like, that's 
that one's odd to me, but uh, yeah. I agree. Oh. And I want to give a shout out to my my British neighbor, David, who had never lived in Canada before. Uh, and he's learning about hockey through me. Like whenever we talk over the fence and we're taking out our garbage, he's like, I wanted to try a Marley's game. Could you tell me where to sit? And I showed him where, where, the, where to sit. And he he like sent me pictures from the game. And he was like, that that keeper, Hildeby, he seems really talented. I think he's great. What do you think, Matt? And I was like, oh, good eye, David. And I told him like last week, I'm like, David, your guy, Hildeby, he's been called up. He's like, oh, it's brilliant. That, that's brilliant. But then Hildeby's not playing. So I'm sorry, David. You do have a good eye for talent. Yeah, he's, he's a good goalie that really kind of defied the odds. Drafted at 20 years old and really just kind of proved that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I was shocked to see um, him become the guy he was because he didn't play a whole lot in his draft, couple of those draft years. And he showed enough to get to, to prove to the Leafs he was ready to go. And he is where he is right now. Uh, last question comes from Logan. And he asks, is Noah Dobson reaching a new level this season? Yes. How much can we depend on his production staying constant on a mediocre Islanders team? Yeah, well, to me, the fact that he is doing this on a mediocre Islanders team is the most encouraging part. It's not like he's in a situation where he's surrounded by elite players and they're just sort of bouncing pucks off him and he's getting secondary assists. He's been the best player, the best skater on this Islanders team this season, and he's not depending on others. He reminds me a lot of early Dougie Hamilton. So you have a big guy, right-handed shot, and he shoots the puck a ton. He blocks a lot of shots, got that big body playing huge minutes, doesn't necessarily need to be surrounded by superstars. I just see so much Dougie Hamilton there, and I think Dougie Hamilton's been a very reliable fantasy defenseman, and I think that Noah Dobson's going to be as well for years to come. So I'm a huge believer, and it's almost the reverse of what you're sort of uh, wondering about Logan. It's like if the Islanders do get more help and become less mediocre, then what's the ceiling for Noah Dobson? If he's doing it now on this team that sort of is perpetually boring, although admittedly they're a bit more dynamic this year, uh, I just, I'm super encouraged. So I think great long-term ceiling. I'm a total believer in, in what he's doing. And again, high-end prospect, first-round pick. I always hammer that point, but it's like when a guy is supposed to be good and is good it's like no you don't treat that as a fluke that's what he was supposed to be no adoption going to be in the all-star game right we're gonna he's gonna be voted in oh he better be that would be a shame if he's not it, it's kind of funny seeing like i know the, again it's been kind of a tired topic at this point but seeing all the guys who made it and it's like okay if, if bedard's not ready to go who does chicago said <laughs> oh man <laughs> peter barasic like i i don't know i i, I oh man is there okay, anybody? I, I gotta find this out. I gotta find this out. I yeah, it's like what? Uh, Philip Kurshev? Seth. Jo I feel like they descend like Seth Jones would be safe. Is he even? Yeah. Well, oh my God, Kurshev. No, wait, isn't, wait, isn't Seth Jones hurt too? Yeah, I was gonna say he's often hurt. Um, uh, doesn't actually. Maybe he. Maybe he is healthy right now. But man, he's not even having a great season by any means either. Mm -hmm. It's like he's on pace for like thirty points. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's been played since December tenth. <laughs> okay, yeah. So yeah, it's it's grim. It's very um, grim. It's, it's almost like, like Chicago should just sign Phil Kessel and then send him to the All Star game. <laughs> uh, That'd be fun. Send him back to Toronto. It's like like you know what the kind of the crazy thing is if you're looking at it. It's like if you looked at the start of the year, it's like okay, well if it's not Bedar, let's say he's hurt. It's gonna be Taylor Hall. Well, he's hurt for the season. Or it's gonna be Corey Perry. Well. He's not there anymore. So. Yeah, Nick Felino's hurt now too. Seth Jones, like it goes on and on. What a disaster! Oh, could they just decline? Like, I don't know. It yeah. seems 
that seems odd to me. But uh, all right, we're done for the questions here. It's time for the starting lineup. And we've had some really good ones, but this is one I'm very interested to hear your opinion on, which is naming your six headliners for a music festival. Okay, so the important disclaimer here is that I'm pretty crappy when it comes to music takes. Like, I'm not cool in terms of pop culture. I'm very plugged into the movie television scene. That's sort of my primary hobby in life other than sports. Um, so I really know what's going on there. But in terms of music, I'm not cool, especially with young kids. I'm very much listening to a lot of top 40 these days because that's what's on the radio. That's what they want to hear. So this is not going to be a cool list. And I don't want anyone to think that I think that I'm cool with this list. And these aren't necessarily even my favorite artists. What I'm going for is a vibe. And I'm th and this show, I think you're going to walk out saying, wow, I can't believe, A, that I saw all these big artists, but also I love the emotional ride that, that it took me on. Okay, so that's what I'm going for since I know I can't be cool. I'm not going to be pretentious and name a bunch of indie bands. I'm going pretty mainstream, but for a reason. Okay, so I'm, I'm giving you this lineup in order. Okay, so <laughs> it starts with Bruno Mars. Like Bruno Mars, well, he, he hasn't even released an album in years, but he's got that band. They got a lot of energy. They're going to do Uptown Funk. They're going to get the crowd on their feet. They're going to get the energy going. He's a very good showman. You've seen him at the Super Bowl halftime show. He's done multiple. They're going to start. Then that's going to transition into Beyonce because she's got some, some great variety in her catalog, very melodic, amazing voice. Then we're going to switch tones after that. We're going to go Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop. That's sort of like the rap era that I grew up in. Like that's when I was like 15. And again, that's going to get the crowd back up, a lot of energy, more of a hip hop vibe. Then we're going to switch. We're going to switch tones. We're going to go rock and roll after that. For the Foo Fighters who have a really energetic feel, that's going to be great. Then you're going to need a little break. You're going to calm it down with some Fleet Foxes, a little folky, because you can't just go high energy over and over and over. And then once everyone is feeling good, maybe you've had a few libations, you're more in the mood to sing, you're kind of tired at the end of the night, it's going to finish off with Taylor Swift because there's so many sing-along tracks in her catalog. So that is my show. It's really weird, but it's all about the emotional journey you're going on, Stephen. I'm not cool, and I don't pretend to be. Where are you hosting Matt Larkin Fest? <laughs> uh, it's going to be somewhere really big. So let's just go. How about like Wembley Stadium? Like I want a big venue. Because again, these are it's going to cost a lot to book these artists. This is like a lot of big names here, so I'm I'm spending a lot of money for for this show. How are you raising that money? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I haven't thought that far ahead. How many I, lotteries I, are you going to win? All right. Well, yeah. I like this topic. I like this one. I, I think we got to do this for me one day. Yes, for sure. I'll, I'll keep that in my back pocket. And uh, I'm sorry for subjecting you all to that last one. I know it's probably not the best lineup, but hey, I gave it my best shot. And that's it for the show this week. We're back on our regular schedule as we get to the stretch run of the fantasy season, the trade deadline in real life, a lot of important signposts on the NHL calendar. And we'll be with you every step of the way. Thank you for listening and watching. Yeah.